What I want you to do now is, if you have a Bible, to go ahead and open it up to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, let me encourage you on Sundays to bring it with you, even if you have to bring the big old two-ton family Bible. Bring it on up. And because and, I want you to write notes, I want you to take notes and uh, to learn. I hope this is a time of, of learning and, and motivation and encouragement to you today. Faithful and Fruitful is the title of our message today. Faithful and Fruitful. And the text is 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 5 and we'll go through verse 11. Uh, Peter, as you know, he writes this, um, this epistle, this letter... And he writes it to believers around A.D. 66, toward the end of his life. You'll remember that Peter, the great Pentecostal preacher, one of the original 12 apostles, was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord. And so Peter, before he dies, he pins these letters, these words, First and Second Peter, to the church. Now that's important that you remember that the audience, the target audience of this epistle, in fact... The Bible is written for believers. I don't know if you, you realize that or not. The Bible is written for people of faith. And when we come together as people of faith, we worship our great God, we study His great book, and as we do that, then God draws people supernaturally, miraculously. God draws people to His Son as we exalt Him and as we preach His Word. Now, before I read the text, you, you're going to notice that he's going to list what I've called seven Christian additives. He's going to list these virtues or these moral graces, if you will, that you and I as believers are to add to our already existing faith. And when I was studying this week, it reminded me of the biography that I just finished. Uh, well, finished it a few months ago, Walter Isaacson's great biography on Benjamin Franklin. If you haven't read it, I really recommend that you read it. Benjamin Franklin was one of those great American patriots. He was also uh, one of our founding fathers. And he was an amazing genius of a man, and he created or invented some things that I think you will recognize. For example, the bifocal glasses. Somebody said amen, bifocal glasses. Thank you, Benjamin Franklin. The copy machine. Daylight savings time. I don't know if that's a great idea or not, but anyhow, he, he created that idea. The hot water system. The lightning rod with, of course, his exploration of electricity. The stove. Benjamin Franklin, he created this, this idea of the stove, street lamp design. And for you younger people, this is not going to mean a lot to you, but when you get older, you'll appreciate the urinary catheter. I mean, he, he, cre <laughs> he, invented, he invented that, all right? As a young tradesman, though, Benjamin Franklin was, a, he was already a very prosperous, successful businessman in Philadelphia. And early on in his 20s, he developed what he called these um, moral excellencies, moral advice that he's going to pattern his life, the remainder of his life, he said, I'm going to try to live by these 12 virtues. And he created them, and they're very praiseworthy. And I'll just list a few of these. For example, he says, uh, temperance, silence, order, frugality, sincerity, tranquility, chastity, and those kind of things. He also was a huge proponent of charity and benevolence. But Benjamin Franklin, it's interesting, when you read his life, the reason he said, I wanted to do these good deeds was that I might be able to earn the favor of God, and when I die, if I do enough of these good things, then I will get to go to heaven. You see, he categorically dismissed the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
and the resurrection. He says, no, I'm not so much into that, but I am into being a good person, and one day God will let me into heaven because of all these good things uh, that I have done. George Whitfield, great evangelist, witnessed him often, frequently, shared the gospel with him. And when George Whitfield died in 1770, Benjamin Franklin made this statement. He said, you know, that great evangelist prayed often for the salvation of my soul, but I'm sorry to say his prayers will never be answered. So Benjamin Franklin is not in heaven. He, he was never a follower of Jesus Christ, but he created this amazing uh, moral goodness, th this great pattern that you can, you can pattern your life. And I looked at those, those virtues, and it reminded me so much of these virtues. But I want you to know something very different about Peter's list and Ben Franklin's list. In Peter's list, the first thing he adds is this. He says, add to your already pre-existing faith. You have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, verses 1 through 4, but also, verse 5, for this very reason, because of your relationship with Christ, giving all diligence, add to your faith, and then he gives these seven additives or moral virtues. And notice them with me, church. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue add knowledge, and to knowledge add self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, Philadelphian, and to brotherly kindness, love. And that reminds me so much of Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where Paul said, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so what Paul is saying and what Peter is saying is this. We are writing to you who are followers of Jesus Christ. Those of you have posited your faith in the resurrected Lord. He died for your sins. He was the propitiation for your sins. He took upon himself the holy wrath of God. The wrath of God that would have been poured out on you and me. Jesus Christ was our awesome substitute. He died for us. He bore the wrath of God on our behalf so that... When we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are born again, and then we begin to walk with Him. And we walk with Him on this side of heaven called earth until that day we meet Him face to face. And then in verse 8, He says, now if these things, now the antecedent for these things, He's going to refer to this often. He's referring to these seven virtues, if you will. If these things are yours and they abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful, in the gnosis, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, now trust me, these things refer to your virtue, your knowledge, self-control, and so forth. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and he has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, now it's very important you remember this, Adelphoi, brothers, uh, sisters in Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, I am writing unto you. And that is so important. And, and God just impresses so hard upon my heart this week as I was studying this message that my messages mostly are for you, the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, I want to preach in such a way that I honor God and then I build you up in your faith. And so that when you come and hear me these 45, 50 minutes, you are, you're building up. There's no spiritual atrophy. No, you're building up your spiritual muscles because 
If I do what God has called me to do, then you are empowered, you are encouraged, your faith is, is deep, and when you walk out these doors, you are a strong, bold, ardent soldier of Jesus Christ. That, that's my preeminent desire. That is my preeminent job, if you will. Now, some of you are looking at me like going, I didn't, I didn't realize that. I, I thought that we judged the success of a sermon by how many people got saved. Well, I just want you to know something. I love seeing people get saved. I, I, I love to witness. I mean, my doctorate is in evangelism and church growth, for heaven's sake. I love seeing people saved. But here's the deal. If you get it, if you really get it and understand the Word of God, ooh, you're going to be hostile, agile, mobile for the kingdom of God, and you're going to lead far more people to Jesus than I ever will preaching. So maybe it's a little paradigm spiritual shift in your thinking. So maybe when we pray, we ought to pray, and Lord, if there's one out there that doesn't know you, that they come to know you, amen. But moreover, Lord, may the church of God be encouraged, and may they be equipped. And when they leave this place, may they be spirit overflowing with the Spirit of God so that they go out and make a great difference for the kingdom of God. Now he says, brothers, listen to me. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Sounds like Paul when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 9. If you like these things, you're short-sighted even to blindness. Now, brethren, be even more diligent. Make your call and election sure. For if you do these things... How many times is he going to say that? I think I'm going to get the idea here now. These things, these seven things in verses 5 and 6 then you'll never stumble. For so, look at verse 11. This pericope, which is a fancy word they teach in seminary, which means a paragraph. This, this, part, this portion of the narrative is about to end. And he wanna, he's going to end on a crescendo. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Now I want to say something, maybe a little controversial, but I want to go ahead and get it over with. Uh, and then I'll, then I'll get into, into my sermon. But, but I believe the Lord really spoke to me with this word. When we go to heaven, our entrance is going to be commensurate with the way we live for him. Some of us are going to limp into heaven. We're going to, we're going to escape so as by fire. But others of you who are walking with the Lord, serving the Lord, I believe somehow in verse 11 there's going to be this awesome entrance. And when you get there, heaven's going to go, Woohoo! Man, that is awesome. Way to go. Way to serve God. And I believe for some of you, hell is going to have a party. And they're going to say, man, I'm glad that guy's dead. Woo, he about tore us up down here in hell. And when you die and you're walking with Christ, there's this grand entrance and the kingdom of God is just rejoicing because you finished well. So let's finish well. How do we do that? Well, number one, there are some responsibilities. There are some things that you and I need to be doing as followers of Christ. He says, for this reason, verse 5, now the antecedent for this reason refers to verse 4 primarily. Because you have obtained eternal life, because you have escaped the corruption of the world, because you are following Christ and you're a believer, for that reason, give all diligence. Now, this word is interesting. It means to make every effort, to bend all of your energy, do everything spiritually feasible and possible so that you give all diligence and you add. Now, this word add is an interesting word. It is a word. It's an imperative command. 
and I'm going to try to pronounce it, epichorigosity, epichorigosity. And the, the root word there is chorus or chorale or choreography, and I'll talk about it in just a moment. But some of y'all just want to make sure you understand where Peter's coming from and what I'm trying to say this, this morning. It's not that we add or work in order that we become Christians. Now that is just antithetical to everything the Bible teaches. No, we can't earn our salvation, but we believe and we repent and we receive it as a free, as a free gift. Let me give you this analogy. Let's say, um, by the way, do you know that the college loans now in America that students who've graduated from college owe the government $1 trillion. Is that not amazing? $1 trillion. So let's say you are graduated, you graduated from college. Well, let's say, first of all, you matriculate. You enroll in college. And you have somebody come to you. They're a wealthy benefactor. Let's say an uncle that you didn't even know existed. A great uncle on your mama's side. And they come up to you and they say, listen. You can go to any college you want to go. Let's say you go to the fine university over here at Texas, and you go to that college, and you go your four years, and you buy all your books, and you pay all your tuition, and all that costs, what does that cost these days? About a million dollars, amen. So you go through, get your education, and here it is. I'm going to pay for every bit of it. Now, you're going to, some of you are going to go, Kristen, is that you? Kristen Miller, bless your soul. Kyle, she's over there going, yes, yeah. She is a student at University of Texas, all right? And, but here's the deal. It's paid for, but what does Kristen need to do? She needs to go to school. And just because we're saved, just because everything's been paid for, doesn't mean we just coast and relax and ease into heaven. Does that help you to understand? Okay, so add to your faith. And this word, korygosity, uh, however you say it in Greek, this is an interesting word. The root word, korygis, was a wealthy benefactor in Greece. It's a very rich word. The choriges would provide the chorus for the Greek plays. Now, the Greek plays were very prominent in this first century culture, and they, they were lavish. And the benefactor, the person in Athens, would pay the price. He would pay the price for this elaborate, lavish chorus, and the chorus would accompany the Athenian Greek plays, and it made, it made a beautiful, if you will, stay with me, it was a beautiful choreographed event. That's the word that Peter is using. He's saying, with all lavishness, spare no expense, child of God, add to your precious faith. And the first thing I want you to add is eritas or eritas. It's the word virtue. Do you see it in verse 5? It is the same word used to describe Jesus in verse 3, it means to have valor, to have excellence, moral goodness, and moral excellence. It means to live in such a way that is honorable, that has esteem, that is blessed in the eyes of God. When I think about Eratos and I think about Christ, I think of 1 John 4.10. Our Lord's sacrificial death is Eratos personified. You remember this verse where it says, and this is love, not that we loved God, but He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means that Jesus Christ, on his in His death on the cross, He appeased the holy wrath of God. He took your sin and my sin and He bore it. He who knew no sin became sin for me so that 
because of him, I don't have to die and go to hell. And by the way, that's what I deserve, but I don't have to. You know why? Because somebody went to hell for me. Jesus died on the cross. He arose from the dead. He bore the wrath of God so that I could go eternally scot-free. That is his shining Eritas moment. And now we accept him. We believe in him. We walk with him, and we too have moral goodness and excellence and valor. Secondly, not only are we to add to our faith eritos, we are to add this word ekratia. It means, uh, excuse me, gnosis, it means knowledge. And this is, this is such a good word for us, church. I don't want you to miss this. Add to your virtue knowledge. Now, in the first century, there was a group of people. Uh, are y'all doing okay? I'm just going to do a TV timeout. Are y'all Okay. You're kind of quiet. I know there's a lot of teaching, there's a lot of Greek, and there's a lot of history and examples and stuff. I just had to make sure y'all are okay. okay? Somebody wake him up, please. He's just, he is about to snore. I'm just kidding. There's nobody over there. Okay, gnosis. Gnosis is, uh, it's, it's this word Gnosticism. There was a heretical group in the first century called the Gnostics. And they believed that there was a secret gnosis that only the initiated receive, and if you don't get it, uh, it's kind of like the charismatic movement in some ways. They say, well, if you don't get baptized in the Holy Spirit, then you miss out, and you're a second-class Christian. I want you to know something. When you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. You're not a second-class citizen, okay? There's not this second thing, the second thing that's reserved just for the, for the few, no. And they believe that there was this hidden knowledge that only you can get when you're initiated. And Peter addresses that. And, and Paul really addresses that. And so does John in 1 John. And so it's not that at all. It's not this secret, hidden, you know, oh, come to this special Bible study and we'll teach you something nobody else knows. And, and you'll just be the spiritually elite. Man, I'll tell you something. That is antithetical to everything that the Bible teaches. There's not this hidden, initiated few, but there is this depth of knowledge that you and I receive when we know Christ and we're walking with Christ and we grow in Christ. And the way that we grow is we get this Word of God in our hearts, in our minds, in our spiritual pores, and it changes us. And come September, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm just looking forward to September the 12th. I, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm just excited about it. I'm going to teach systematic theology in the Great Hall every Thursday morning in the fall and in the spring for those of you brave souls that want to come and learn more about your faith and the historic orthodox doctrines of the faith. Some of you are looking at me like, dude, you're out of your mind. I'm going to be sound asleep. There's no way. But you'll be amazed at the number of people that I have heard who are going to come and who are going to join us from different cities. and going to, it's, I think it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad you're so excited. Okay, number three. <clears throat> Number three is this a great, a great tia, this self-control. Add to your knowledge self-control. I translate it, take a, take, get a grip of yourself, control your passions. Now, again, this is one of the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Being able to rein in uh, your, 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 your anger, if you will. You know, the Bible says be angry, but do not sin. I don't know if y'all watched this on 2020 a couple weeks ago. There was a documentary done about road rage. Come on now. Road rage. I had a guy 
run me off the road not long ago, honking at me, and I, for the life of me, I cannot figure out what I did wrong. I, think, I guess it was the I Love My Church sticker on the back of my car. I don't know what it is. But this guy, an 18-wheeler, literally ran me off the road, was honking at me and doing this kind of gyration to me, and I was like, man, I don't, I don't know. Who, who are you? What, what is that? Road rage is a real deal. In fact, they, they did a documentary on this man about 40 years of age, him and his wife, riding down the road in their truck, and these teenagers went, come in and cut them off, okay? And instead of going, ah, oh, teenagers, slow down, the guy started chasing them. And the teenagers were driving and leaving him, and he kept chasing them. And his wife was going, go get them, honey, go get them. He's like, and he's going after these kids. I mean, he's teenagers. They pull over, he pulls over, he goes in there and knocks the teenager right in the face with his fist. Well, the other teenager gets out, and it's on like Donkey Kong. I mean, they're going at it. You know, they are fighting. The wife comes out and says, here, honey, gives him a gun. Take the gun, honey, and shoot him. I'm like, all of this is on video. Did anybody else see that? I thought, my word, anger. I mean, by the way, don't do that. <laughs> That's not good. We, we don't do road rage. We, we're, not, we're not overboard. We are... If we are angry, we sin not, and we take it to the Lord. And so Peter is saying, listen, don't be like that. Add to your precious faith virtue, moral excellence, and knowledge, a true gnosis, a knowledge of Christ that transforms your ethics. And by the way, that's the great, that's the great criticism of Gnosticism. They said, I can, I can believe in Jesus and love Jesus, and I can live however I want to live. It's called antinomianism, anti-nomos, anti-law, the Bible does not endorse that. In fact, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I want to obey Him. The more I want to serve Him. It's not some duty, some religious, legalistic thing. It's more of, a, of appreciation and a delight in keeping His commandments. So that is this word self-control. Now the next one is an interesting one. It, it may be my favorite. It's this one. It's called perseverance. Add to your knowledge self-control and add to self-control Perseverance, hupomenon. Hupomenon literally means to endure under it, whatever it may be. Whatever your adversity is, do not by any means give up. It means to press on, press through. Craig Larson has an interesting book for pastors. It's called Pastoral Grit, The Strength to Stay and the Strength to Stand. And in this book, he, he gives a story about um, this spacecraft called Pioneer 10. And I got so interested in this. I used to pastor a bunch of NASA engineers. When I was in, in one of my other churches, I pastored a, a huge group of military guys and a huge group of engineers. I want to tell you something. These are some of the smartest people I ever met. I'm not a rocket scientist, but I know some. You, you know what I'm saying? These people are crazy Fred Campbell physics kind of smart kind of thing, all right? And so I'm, I'm out there, and I'm pastoring that, that group, and they, they tell me this story. They say, listen, this is a true story. And Greg Stover, who's genius, crazy smart, we met for four years. Three NASA engineers, a medical doctor, and yours truly who failed geometry. God has a sense of humor. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, really, he has a sense of humor. And I, I'm supposed to be discipling them, but I think they discipled me. Well, anyhow, they tell the story of Pioneer 10. It's a spacecraft that they created in the 70s, and they launched it. And it has an 8-watt transmitter light in it. That's about enough light to light up your little, your little bedroom through the little night light. And it was supposed to last three years. That thing is still in orbit. 
It's amazing what this little Energizer Bunny satellite has been able to accomplish. And, and here's, here's what happened to it. When it first launched, it was supposed to go take photos of Jupiter. But it got into some asteroid belts and it broke through. Then it reached the speed of 51,800 kilometers per hour. It encountered some meteoroid hits, but it kept going. And then finally the spacecraft got close enough to Jupiter and it experienced what you call Jupiter's bow shock wave. Yes, I'll tell you what that means. It's solar wind that interacts with the planet's magnetic field. And then, then it had to endure Jupiter's radiation. It made it, though, and it began to take images that we had never, ever seen before. <laughs> On the NASA website, you can check it. I read it this week. It says these words. And I'm sorry I'm laughing, but it's funny. Now the spacecraft is generally heading in the direction of the red star Aldebaran a star that forms the eye of the Tarsus constellation. That's not the funny part. Here comes the funny part. It is expected to pass by Aldebaran in about two million years, and in case of an intercept by... You got it. And if the aliens see Pioneer 10, then what we've done is we've put in an aluminum plaque with diagrams of a man and a woman our solar system, and our location relative to 14 pulsars. In other words, this is, who, <laughs> this is who we are, you know. Who are you, E.T.? Talk to us. All right. So, Craig Larson, in, in his book, he, he makes this statement, and I was very encouraged by it. So it is, when we offer ourselves to the Lord, God can work even through somebody with an 8-watt ability. It's amazing what you and I can do. God cannot work, however, through somebody who quits. End of quote. I tell you, if NASA can create an 8-watt, and it can go for these many years, I know God can create us in such a way that we don't quit, that we hoopomenum, that we persevere, that we keep going even though it gets hard. Here's a verse for you. It says, Proverbs 24.10 says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Lady out here, I, I, I didn't really know who she was. She said, I'm 73 years old, and I want to talk to you for a minute. I always get nervous when that happens. I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. And I was like, I didn't know whether to, to pucker up or duck. You know, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, what? Because what? she was serious. She goes, I need to talk to you. And I said, I was out here at camp, you know, getting the kids. They were going to head out to camp. And she said, you keep doing what you're doing. You keep preaching God's word. And I'm going to tell you something. If the, if the devil's after you... You know what that means? And I said, no, ma'am. She said, it means he hadn't caught you yet, so just keep going. <laughs> I said, that's good. I said, I appreciate that. You just, you just keep going. Keep preaching God's word. Look, can I encourage you with that? Add to your precious faith. You've already been saved by grace through faith. God's righteousness has been imputed to you, okay? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So as a Christian, somebody who is saved, add to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and the next one is this word Eusebius, and it's godliness. It means piety. It means to have a reverence for God. It's not a religious moralism. It's not, a, it, it, it's not this Pharisaism thing, but it's a genuine godliness. I mean, it is a, it is a righteousness that we receive and, and we effuse. We, we, are, we are radiant of this godliness, this piety, this walk with God, which, by the way, is extremely attractive in Austin, Texas. If you're walking with Christ 
And you are different, okay? You may be tempted to capitulate and just give in and acquiesce to the sin around you, but don't do it. Be an example. Be a righteous, godly, holy person, all right? And I promise you this, people will take notice. And it will have a powerful, profound influence on your friends and on your colleagues. There's more I can say about that, but I need to move on. The next one is brotherly kindness. Add to your, your godliness, your Eusebian, brotherly kindness. Philadelphian. The, the opposite of it is a bitter, acrimonious spirit. It really is a kindness. It, it is, Philadelphian means to love your brother, to help one another out. And, and it's also one of the fruit of the Spirit. And then finally, he said, and add love. It's, it's so reminiscent of Paul. Remember Paul? 1 Corinthians 13. Faith. That's what Peter started with. What did he say? Add to your faith. Hope. But the greatest of these is what? You know what Greek word that is? Some of you are like, I don't know, but I bet you're going to tell me. Yes, I am. Agape. That is the high, it's not storge or er, um, philia or eros. It's none of those words. It's the word agape. And, and Peter's saying, as a church, may you be known by your, your love for one another, your, your agape kind of love. It's, it's the same kind of love that was demonstrated in Romans 5, 8. And here it is. But God demonstrated his own, not philia. You know, philia is kindness and it cares, but agape suffers. You with me? Philia helps, agape suffers. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That is the preeminent example of agape. I'm laughing because when we, when we got back from camp on a Friday, there were some sleepy people right there. I'm telling you, I, there were some sleepy campers coming into Austin, Texas. But a bunch of us, you know, they were ready for some Tex-Mex. They had had enough of camp food, all right? And they were ready to go to, somebody help me, where'd y'all go? <laughs> they said Chewies, by the way. Chewies. Love me some Chewies. But anyhow, um, so we, we go over to Chewies and we're eating. It's loud. We're fellowshipping. And, and, and Stacy, I know I didn't ask your permission for this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyhow. Stacy Bean told me this story. She said, you know, I'm just blown away. And I said, well, what's going on? She said, well, I came back from camp. And I went to my car, and I have a flat tire. And um, I was like, man, that's a bummer. So I'm going to call my husband, and, you know, we got to get this thing. And Barbara Baca came along. She said, don't worry about that. Why don't you go on to eat? I'll take care of it. She said, I'm a member of AAA, and I'll call them. They'll come fix your tire. You just go enjoy your lunch, and you hang out with, your, with the guys there. Oh, what in the world? That, to me, is agape. That is, that is love. That is going the extra mile. Barbara Baca, can we, what's that word clone? Can we clone you? Can we just have a bunch of you floating around here? Is that, can y'all do that for her? Isn't that, is that a good story? Man. All right, so these are our responsibilities. It's um, 12.07, and we're going to keep going, all right? By the way, if you need to leave, please leave. I should have said this many moons ago. You say, well, I'm sitting on the front row and everybody will know what I'm doing. So? No, not really. If you've got to go to the bathroom or if you need to go, you've got an appointment, which I don't think you should, but, but if you really need to leave, I mean, because some, some folks are still upset about this 45-minute message, and so I'm just I'm being nice as I can. You can leave, but we're going we're to keep going through God's Word. I get one shot at you on Sunday morning, okay? And I know... 
I know the mind. Okay. Good, good, good. You know, uh, Dr. Patterson, a uh, preacher, he said, the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. I get that. All right. <laughs> I get that. So if your seat is not in, if your seat is not hupomenin, it's not persevering, then I'm really, I don't hold anything against you. Just feel free to, to leave and, and go beat the Methodist for lunch. It's all good, all right? So number two is reality. And I'm not going to take near as much time on these three points as I did that first one. The reality is in verse 8. He says, now, if these things are yours, and they, and they pleonazzo, they abound, and they are fruitful, they're overflowing in you, okay, listen now, if these things are happening in you, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we abound in these things, we make a positive difference, not only in our lives, but I think, and I'm thinking what Peter's saying is there is a commensurate growing in knowledge of who God is and how awesome God is and learning the scriptures. It is commensurate with, with us obeying what we already know when we're adding to our faith these, these awesome additives or these virtues. One writer says this, This word ineffective was used to describe idle workers who wasted their day in the marketplace. And so Peter's saying, no, no, let's don't do that. But, but let us add and let us grow. And oh, here's a good quote. i got to give it to you real quick. He says, The ineffect ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness related to their knowledge was this, perhaps the opponents in Peter's day, he was criticizing them for their libertine lifestyle that contradicted their profession of faith. Now, here's what he's saying. There are these Gnostics in the, in the New Testament era, and they're saying, but really, we have this hidden secret, this gnosis, this knowledge. And Peter says, no, you don't. Because if it's not commensurate with an ethical, biblical lifestyle, then you really don't have a genuine knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, what I just shared with you right then, guys, is extremely controversial. There is a brand of Christianity in America today that is extremely popular. Go south here for a few miles, and there will be 30,000 people who believe this, this word. It's not so much important how you believe, or, or, or it's not so much important what you do. Just say you believe in Jesus and everything is okay. There's got to be this commensurate, ethical, godly lifestyle accompanying your belief. I don't know how we have separated belief from behavior. But we can't do that. If you know God, you're going to walk with God. And if you don't walk with God, you may not know God. Okay, I got to say something else controversial. We may not need to attend another Bible study. People are, we, we are so intense with, with, with Bible studies. And, and some people are like, I'm going to catch this Bible study at this church. I'm going to catch this one on Wednesday, catch this one on Thursday night, catch another Bible study. I wonder if we should not put into practice what we already know. What if we put into practice what we already know? And then I think there's this vista of knowledge and this amazing things that God teaches us, not so much in the classroom, but as we're out in the streets, as we're out in life doing, doing the gospel. Okay? All right, that's reality for me it is. Number three is a rebuke, and this is verse 9, and I'm going to go quickly. He says, for he who lacks these things, now this is a rebuke, he is short-sighted even to blindness. 
He he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his sins. He says there are three negative results if you forget to practice this Christian walk, these additives. The first one is muopsan, muopsan, myopsan. It's where we get the English word myopic or myopia, which means to be nearsighted. You, You can't see clearly. And that's the word he uses in verse 9. He said, if you like these things, then you are short-sighted. You you can't see clearly. And listen to this. The corrective LASIK spiritual surgery to spiritual myopia is to do the spiritual disciplines that Peter's talked about. He says, yes, if these things lack, then you are short-sighted and you are blind and you have forgotten that that you were ever converted. I see this so many times. I see people who, who are doubting their salvation. They're like, well, I don't really know if I'm a, if I'm a Christian. And, and what the issue is, is, is they're, they're not walking with God. I mean, they are genuinely born again and they are saved, but they have walked away from God and now they are, they are doubting. But I've yet to see a person who's living for the Lord, walking with the Lord, sharing his faith, giving his tithes, giving his testimony, walking with God, and who, and who also is doubting. They are just like antithetical. They don't go together. And so it says, keep, man, keep going, keep walking, Imp- implement these into your spiritual life. You won't be blind, and you won't, you won't doubt. And then finally, he gives this great word of reward. And this is verses 10 and 11. Oh, I couldn't wait to get here, and then we're going to done. Okay, here we go. He says, now therefore. Now, students, when there's a therefore in the Bible, help me, you've got to ask what it's there for. That's what our camp pastor told us. He did an excellent job preaching, by the way. So what is it there for? Well, therefore, in light of these ten verses or nine verses I've already shared with you, keep this in mind, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Man, this is so rich, church. Listen to me. He is discipling them. He's saying, grow in your faith with the Lord. And as you do these things, be even more diligent. You will know. You will not doubt. You will have that great assurance of your salvation. Like Paul said in Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. But if we do, present active participle, do and practice these things again and again and over and over, he says you'll never trip, you will not err, you will not fall into sin because you're obeying God and you're, you're putting on these Christian fruits or virtues. And then he closes with verse 11. Ah, this is so powerful. I don't know about you guys, but verse 11 just really motivated me this week. It, it motivated me to keep going. It motivated me to keep, keep preaching, keep witnessing, keep giving, keep pouring your life out in ministry. For so an entrance. Now this word entrance is an interesting word, isodos. This word entrance means in the Olympic Games, when you left, to go represent your locale or your vicinity or your city-state. When you went to Athens and you performed admirably in the Olympic Games, when you came back, there was an asodos for you. The asodos was an entrance into the city. Here's what they would do. They would literally go in and knock out a hole in the wall of the city. I mean, literally, they would pound and pound and pound, and they would, they would cut out... A, a door, an opening in the wall of the city. And when you came home from winning your wreath, your Stephanos, your wreath, you walked through that opening. And when you did, 
You looked up and you went, wow, all the city came out to welcome you because you were the heroine. You were the lady who won. You were the hero. You were the guy who won. And Peter, they knew that. They knew what an Isidon was. And he goes, listen to this. <laughs> For so an entrance will be, stay with me, church. This is, this is the best part. Corrigis. Same word. Remember that word choreography, Corrigis? For so a choreography will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now think with me for a moment. If the benefactors in Athens would spare no expense to supply the chorale group in the Greek plays, can you imagine? Can you imagine what God has prepared for us who love Him? Can you imagine when we close our eyes at death and we open our eyes and we enter into the joy of the Lord? I tell you, folks, oh, what a day that will be. Some of you senior saints, listen to me now. You're closer. You're closer, maybe a lot, lot closer, maybe what you realize. Can I just ask you this? Please keep going strong because we're watching you. We need your example. These 120 kids up here this morning, I keep calling them kids, bless their souls, they're, they're young adults. Listen, we're watching you. And we're watching you live for God and share your faith. We're watching you finish strong because we're coming in behind you because there's coming a day when we don't limp and we rush into the arms of Jesus. Listen to these two quotes and I'm done. Amy Carmichael said this, great missionary. She said, we shall have all eternity to celebrate the victories But we got just a few hours before sunset to win them. We got all eternity to celebrate, but we just got a few short hours, great hymns, to win them. And C.T. Studd said this only one life which will soon be passed, only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. Let's bow to the Lord and let's pray to Him. And let's have our time of public invitation. I do want to thank you for being so patient and listening and listening to God's word as it's being preached. I know that God has spoken to you today because he promised us. If you speak the word of God and you preach it, it, does, it never returns void. So I know there's a fertile soil that the word of God has landed upon. First of all, for some of our people. Some of our people who have been doubting and worried and concerned and they're walking with God at a guilty distance and now... God is drawing you back. He's drawing you closer into fellowship with Him. And you're going to add to your precious faith virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and brotherly kindness and love. And, and as you're doing that and you're incorporating that into your Christian walk, God is building you up. He is encouraging you. He's giving you assurance of your salvation. And He's preparing. He's preparing this amazing entrance for you when you die and you go into His arms. But before you do, there is work to be done. And so let's do it. Let's, let's be faithful and let's give, let's serve, let's work until Jesus comes or he takes us home. But I know there are others, and I just feel this in my spirit today and especially this week as I was preparing this message. You may be here live. You may be listening like many people do on the Internet, the live stream, or some are watching on television, and God is really going to speak to you. He has spoken to you. And you're ready to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And so I want to pray with you. And I want you to pray after me, okay? Wherever you may be, I just want you to say this prayer with me and mean it with all of your heart. Say, 
silently where you are, say, Dear God in heaven, I know that you love me, and I know that I am a sinner. And Jesus Christ, you are the answer. Just tell him, Jesus, you are the answer to my sin problem. I turn my life over to you. I I believe in you. I trust in you. Come into my life and save my soul. In Jesus' name. God bless you. With your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, I believe there are many, many people who accepted the Lord for the very first time. And you understand that there is a correlation between what you believe and how you behave. And you're going to walk with the Lord, and we're going to help you. We want to disciple you. We want to encourage you in your walk with Him. So maybe you're here today and you prayed that. And you asked the Lord into your life, and you need to make that public. We would love to celebrate that with you. And you come forward, and we would talk with you and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Some of you are here today. and Man, you're praying and you're moving to Austin. I meet so many people in June and July who are moving to this great city and the first thing on your list is you're looking for a place where you can belong and where you can grow in your faith and you can, you can make all the difference you can make for Christ. We invite you to come. We invite you to come be a part of our church if God so leads you. And our Toronto team, if y'all would go ahead and start making your way, we'll start praying. So, Father, we're asking you now in Jesus' name that you would just move upon us in a sweet, powerful way. That, God, there would be lives changed and there would be marriages, Lord, that are going to be blessed and helped as husband and wife as they begin to practice these Christian virtues. And, Lord, there are going to be, there are going to be lives just blessed today. There are going to be some blessed for eternity because they receive you, Christ, as their Savior. And I'm so excited about that. So, Lord, we're going to stand in your honor. We're going to give you praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go ahead and stand. I believe Corey's here. He's going to lead us in our song of invitation.